There is no secret formula for better customer service. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot, bringing service and support together in one powerful platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with an AI-powered help desk. Also, you can easily support and grow your customer base. Secrets out, everybody. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, January 3rd. I'm Ben Berkley here with Rob Litterst, and this is The Hustle Daily Show. Today, we're talking about an issue that rears its unpleasant little head in just about every workplace imaginable, and that is the disconnect between employees and top executives. Right before the holiday break, we saw another high-profile flare-up when Wayfair CEO Niraj Shah sent out a memo to his team that wasn't well-received, to say the least. We'll chat more in a bit about that memo, the pushback, and the bitter, never-ending tango playing out between the top and bottom of many org charts. But first, let's get you up to speed on the biggest headlines today across business and tech. China's BYD beat out Tesla. It is now, as of last quarter, the top seller of EVs in the world. BYD sold about 525K vehicles last quarter, which compares to 484K from Tesla. On an annualized basis, though, Tesla still got it. They sold 1.8 million cars last year to BYD's 1.57 million. But it's getting closer. More on the EV thread. In Norway, new data shows that 82% of new cars sold in the country last year were electric. That's up from 79% the year before. Tesla was tops there, followed by Toyota and Volkswagen. And just for context here, in the U.S., that number was just under 16% last year. And that's when you count hybrids and plug-in hybrids, as well as fully electric vehicles. And so I think pessimists here would note that hybrids did a lot of that lifting in the States. An optimist would probably note that the number in the States has nearly doubled since 2021. I'm not really sure which one I am, so I'm just going to kind of just back out entirely and say, good job buying electric to all of Norway. Yeah. And I feel like the sentiment around EVs has shifted quite a bit. I think a lot of people have started to sour on the infrastructure situation that we have in the US where you just don't have reliable charge points. And I think it's really important to point out that Norway has more chargers per EV than any other place in the world. I think they have 25,000 charge points across the country. Oslo is also replacing its remaining diesel fuel buses with electric models this year, making it the first capital city to have an all-electric public transport system. So they're clearly all in. But that infrastructure part is just so, so important. Yeah, it's really hard to imagine us catching up on that at no. this point. And obviously, there's also a very big geographic factor we need to... Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Norway is quite a bit smaller than the US. Texas is 2.1 times bigger than Norway. So just to put it in perspective, yeah, it's it's going to be hard. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that. But before we move on from EVs, one more thing in that world. Rivian had a rough day. Their shares dipped after they missed Q4 delivery expectations. They got less than 14,000 electric trucks on the road, which is 10% fewer than the previous quarter. Some analysts are starting to grow a little dubious. It seems like Rivian might be in a bit of hot water. Rob, what do you think is going to come of them? I don't think the product is the problem. First of all, they've had some issues with production, right? They've had issues just getting cars made. Also, I think when you look at how popular Tesla has been over the last few years, there's kind of like a storyline that you can cling on to that's like the people who are most committed to driving EVs have already bought 
EVs. And now it's this period of kind of like mass adoption that we're waiting on where other folks need to start joining in. And honestly, I think that's only going to happen with either infrastructure or lower prices. And I think that's going to be a challenge for Rivian because from what I understand, I think their vehicles are pretty expensive compared to the average gas guzzling SUV. We will keep tabs on that. But first, let's talk about Paxlovid, the COVID drug. $2.2 billion worth of the drug that's going to expire by the end of next month. And Pfizer, which makes the drug, they're sitting on that stockpile as the demand is falling across Europe and the UK, which... I mean, that just sucks. Like, I get upset when a cent's worth of bread goes moldy. So I think this is the first and only time in my life I'm going to empathize with Pfizer executives. Yeah, that is absolutely brutal. Let's talk about Nike real quick. They have a plan to get back on their front foot, so they say. Nice pun in their press release. Good for them. They had a wobbly 2023, but they're kind of getting it back together. They pocketed about $1.6 billion in net income last quarter. Still, they're going to plan to cut costs. And in a really big way, they're going to look to shave about $2 billion in expenses over the next three years. And the plan specifically calls out, quote, a faster, more efficient Nike, which almost always means layoffs, unfortunately. So we can only assume that those are around the corner. We'll see where they go this year. But let's first go on to Mickey Mouse. We are just past Public Domain Day, which is when trademarks expire. Disney's hold on Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse is notably the biggest IP up for grabs this year. And naturally, we're already seeing some stuff pop up. There is a horror movie in the works now about a killer Mickey, and it is called Mickey's Mousetrap. Love Public Domain Day. Always interesting. Okay, well, let's move on to our top story. We're not going to linger on Wayfair for too long, but that is where the story begins. The online home goods retailer, they had a rough spell over the last year. It was unprofitable. They laid off about 1,000 employees. And of course, they fell to a distant second behind my friend Rob here as Boston's proudest export. But then out of the darkness, things showed some promise. The company last quarter returned to profitability. And then right before the holidays, as the employees were about to you know, lick their wounds following this bruising year, in comes a memo from CEO Naraj Shah. And the memo started well, thanked them for their efforts, but it didn't end well. There was a viral moment for Shah who got the internet angry when his note implored his team to work harder, to lean away from work-life balance and really warning them against laziness. And I don't know if it was fully intended or not, but it was definitely tinged with that implication that he feels like people at Wayfair aren't working hard enough. And that's, of course, not going to sit well with people who have built a successful, profitable business. That suggestion from CEO, it hurts my morale. Yeah. Rob, how's it land with you? Yeah, I completely agree. I've always had mixed emotions about Wayfair. I can see why in today's world, it can be hard to kind of rally yourself around building out this home furniture delivery juggernaut. I think you hope that all employees are kind of self-motivated to do hard work for whatever it is they're supporting, but that's just clearly not the case. And I think people have moved more and more towards being hyper aware of their work-life balance and really kind of moving away from aggressive, like hustle style work towards more of a balance between their home life and personal life. Yeah. And I think why we really zeroed in on this story and why anytime something like this happens, a CEO tries to motivate their team and then it backfires and then there's a big hubbub about it. 
this is an impossible situation where employee motivation in general is really low. There was a study that this summer dropped its lowest point since like the year before. It just keeps plummeting. Obviously, you aren't going to get too far with a deeply unmotivated employee base and every executive's just trying to please their shareholders as they do. I think you're seeing this frustration bubble over where, you know, we're just removed from all this quiet quitting thing. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to get through these very strange times. And I think it seems like there's a bit of this, like, you should be grateful for this job. Whereas employees are like, you're making 344 times what we make. Right. And we can't buy our houses. So we're pissed. We don't want to work that much harder for you. And we just end up at this really tense point. And we just see this flashpoint every couple of months. CEOs really need to try to get something out of their team. They say it, their team gets pissed, and I don't know how we get out of this situation. I mean, I think you put that really, really well. You know, you mentioned quiet quitting and folks just like not working as hard. I can empathize with both sides because I've definitely been through points in my career where I've worked really long hours and worked really hard and have definitely felt a sense of accomplishment working that hard. But I generally agree with what he's saying, which is that hard work is rewarding in and of itself. I think there's a lot that kind of goes into a company culture that's going to actually reward hard work. And I do think a big part of that is financial motivation and financial incentives. And one thing that you pointed out that's, I think, a huge thing here is that CEOs are earning so much more than their average workers. So it's almost like they're talking past each other. If you don't have the incentives in place to actually push these workers to work really hard and earn more money. In a capitalist society, it's going to be really hard to motivate them, I think. You also bring up these really great points that there are these trends that are all converging around this. Like work-life balance has been kind of like the talk of the town and especially tech for a while now. Working from home rather than being in the office. And I mean, I've seen this firsthand with friends and family who have been asked to come to the office and just don't want to. And you know, you can kind of hear both sides. The managers think that the culture is better. And I've definitely seen and felt in-person cultures There's just something there that can be really helpful and conducive to better work. But at the same time, the flexibility and ability for people to kind of live their life of remote working is just really hard to argue with. So it's tough, man. It's tough. But there are some things that can help. Yeah. I mean, I think we all know that just basic recognition helps. We've got studies that show productivity jumps when you just recognize people for the work they're doing. It's the classic madman quote. What's Don Draper say? He's like, that's what the money's for. But Peggy wants more than that. She wants recognition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that you're going to start to see a lot of like thought leadership in the CEO world. Like the former Panera guy was kind of being like, you know, I think that we need to realize that employees don't care about making money for shareholders. They want to make it for themselves. It's like, totally. Yeah, that's Correct. I think we're going to see a lot of push and pull. I think we're going to hopefully find a way to bridge this gap where everyone at the end of the day is just trying to do their job and live the most fulfilling life they can find. I think you're 100% right with recognition. I also think that the answer is decidedly not to tell people to scrap their work-life balance. A lot of this is solved by just having the right expectations up front. And I feel like one of the big challenges here is that a lot of these companies had certain expectations pre-pandemic and the expectations have really changed post-pandemic. And some companies have done a good job of kind of like navigating this and just making it really clear what the company is about. Like Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, and say what you want about crypto, got a ton of flack. He made this big statement about Coinbase's operating procedures and how they just don't talk about politics on Slack. Like that's just not something that they do. They talk about the work. And it was more than that. He gave this big kind of like thesis of how they work and why they work. And 
I think he got a lot of pushback, but in the last couple of years, I've seen people kind of gravitate more towards that and say, hey, he was kind of prescient there. I think like actually putting out your values as a company in the beginning so that people know what they're getting into is really, really important. Absolutely. I'll say as someone who's gotten a memo like this at the end of the year after a really hard but successful year and then was told, okay, now triple your output next year. And it was entirely growth for growth sake. Yeah. There was no why. Right. I think if I were to edit any memo that's going out like this, just say why. Right. Why are we trying to grow? Why are you trying to push us in this way? If you just explain, here's what my aims are and here's how we're trying to get there. Yeah. And here's your part in getting there. To your point, setting expectations goes a long way. And if employees have equity and you can kind of tie their equity to the growth, I think the more transparency, the better. It's like, we want to hit this number because it will help us reach this valuation and that will mean X, Y, Z for you. You know, like if you just break it down and keep it really easy and keep it personal, I think that can be really helpful. Now, whether or not folks are actually giving away equity or people are properly incentivized, that's a completely different discussion. But I completely agree with you here. I think just telling people what it'll actually mean if these goals kind of happen, I think that's the best approach. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say that we worked too hard, actually, today, and we should stop and go pursue our work-life balance. So let's do that. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for tuning into The Hustle Daily Show today. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email, and we will see you tomorrow. Hey, everybody, I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne, Elliot, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts.